You're listening to the Elim Church Northampton podcast. This message was recorded live as part of our regular Sunday service. We know that this is a great investment into your life. So tune in and give it a listen. For more information, visit elimnorthampton.com. Wow, I'm going to come here again. That's a good introduction. Well, welcome uh, to Elam Church Northampton. This is home from home for me, so it's fantastic to be back and see so many familiar faces. Uh, I have the privilege today of kicking off your brand new campaign. And I love that language, campaign. We love it so much, we stole it and we took it to Luton with us. A campaign. Why do we call it a campaign? Because everywhere else seems to call it a series. We're going to start a church series. Well, I love the, the definition of campaign. It means to do something together. When we look at the military and they're going out to protect and defend, they do it as a campaign. When we look at advertising, really wanting to make a dent in the market, they do it as a campaign. You see, the thought behind it is that it's intentional. You see, sometimes in church, the setup doesn't help because it's a platform, we're looking at a couple of people and we're all sat back listening or worshipping while a few people do everything, but that's not the intention of the church. And indeed, that's not the intention of a campaign. You see, when we're talking about campaign, uh, Ephesians 4, 11 to 12 talks about the pastors, the prophets, the evangelists, the teachers, and the uh, apostles. And all that those five people do are to gift the church, to train them in acts of service, to do ministry wherever they find themselves. So when we talk about a campaign, this is such a small part of our week when we come to church, but we are the church. So kicking off this brand new campaign, Build the House, Or build his house, I think I like as well. Build his house. We're doing so together. It's not just me bringing a 30, 40, hour and a half, two hours if we're lucky message. We're doing something together. We're getting fed. We're getting full up to go out in the world on a campaign. So is that okay with me with that? Let me just give some umbrella verses that will frame everything I'm going to talk about. And I think from what Donna and, and Jared and the guys were singing, it's so helpful in it set us up for this. Listen to Ephesians 2. 19 to 22. So now you Gentiles, that's everyone who's non-Jewish, are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. Listen to this, pay attention, verse 21. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. So when we're talking about building the house, and you'll hear this title a lot over the coming weeks as you delve deeper into this campaign, we're not talking about bricks and mortar in the physical sense. We're talking about bricks and mortar, us being the bricks and the Holy Spirit being the mortar. We are the bricks joined together to make God's house. And all through the Bible, all through the New Testament, you see different allusions and metaphors of what the house is and what the body are. We're called the body, we're called the temple, we're called the bride. But this metaphor of the house, I think, is so poignant for this next season. You see, church is going, I think, globally through a bit of a deconstruction. No longer are we satisfied to sit back and listen to one or two people. We are impassioned to be filled up by God to go out into the world and build his house and his kingdom. So as I was thinking about this, I found myself in my daily readings in Matthew 9. And that's where I'm going to start today. We're going to go to Matthew uh, chapter 9, verse 1 to 7. It'll come up on the screen. If you haven't got your Bible with you, just look at your phone and pretend you've got one and everyone will think you're holy. Okay. Matthew 
chapter uh, 9, verses 1 to 7 says this. Jesus climbed into a boat and went back across the lake to his own town. And some people brought to him a paralysed man on a mat. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralysed man, Be encouraged, my child, your sins are forgiven. Pay attention to verse 3. But some of the teachers of religious law, that was the pastors, said to themselves, Goodness me, that's blasphemy. What on earth is he saying? Does he think he's God? And this is the verse I want us to pay attention to. Verse 4, Jesus knew what they were thinking and so he asked them, why do you have such evil thoughts in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? And this is one of the only times we see Jesus address the Pharisees and he's proving something to them. Of course, he's healing the man and that's amazing to the man. But oftentimes we see in the New Testament, Jesus heals people and he says, go away and don't say anything. But he says this, So I will prove to you that me, the Son of Man, has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus turned to the paralysed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. And the man jumped up. He didn't get up with creaking bones like I do, even at 34 in the morning. He jumped up and he picked up his mat and he went home. And fear swept through the crowd as they saw this happen. And they praised God for giving humans such authority. Now, as I said, verse 4. Verse 4, simultaneous, fills me with wonder and fear, both at the same time. Because this was Jesus who walked on the earth. He could hear the thoughts of the religious people. What does that mean? He can hear our thoughts too. Scary. You see, we can come to church, we can look good, we can smile, we can handshake, we can hug, and we can go home and be an absolute rotter in our mind. And Jesus addressed this himself to the Pharisees. They were getting all pent up about these religious laws, about what you could eat, what you could drink, what you couldn't eat, what you couldn't drink. And he said, guys, you're missing the point. It's not what you put in your mouth that makes you unclean, which is fantastic because I love a kebab. Okay. He says, it's not what goes in your mouth that makes you unclean. It's what comes out of your heart. It's what comes out of your mind. And Jesus knew what they were thinking and he answered them. And I want to talk for the remainder of our time today about that inside thought. That thought life. You see, when we talk about voices in our heads, we usually assume that person is clinically insane. But actually, we all have a thinking voice in our head, whether we know it or not. And for some people, that sounds like yourself. And maybe this voice changes as well. When you do something naughty, you hear your mother's voice. I like to be really creative with my voice, and sometimes I turn Morgan Freeman on in my head to give a narrative of what I'm thinking. But Whether you know it or not, we all have this self-talk, scientists call it. And it's fascinating when you do a little bit of study into self-talk. You see, when we speak conversationally, we do so at about 145 to 160 words per minute. When I'm preaching, or indeed if you're presenting, you usually double that to around 300 words per minute. You do this to try and keep people interested and not fall asleep. So I am watching, although it's dark, I can see. 300 words per minute. But self-talk is phenomenal because it is six times faster than what we conversationally say. It's estimated we speak 1,200 words per minute in our mind, which is ridiculous because it's something like this is very, 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 very fast. Can't say very that fast. Six times faster than you usually speak, but that's not what's fascinating about it. The thing that's fascinating is we hear and we understand all of it. At 1,200 words per minute, we listen to it, we hear it, which is absolutely phenomenal. 
So when we look at self-talk, we've got these 1,200 words per minute going on apparently all of the time. And it's a little bit like breathing. When you were just sat there, you don't have a problem breathing. But when someone, you know, calls attention to it, you suddenly forget how to breathe. Have you ever had that? It's like you have to start manually breathing to make sure you don't die. It's a little bit like our self-talk. As I'm talking about that now, you might be tuning into that voice in your head. And simultaneously, it's evaluating everything that's happening around you. You're listening to what I'm saying. You're asking yourself in your head, do I agree? Do I not? Do you like what I'm wearing? Do you not? Do you like my trainers? Do you not? Do you like my accent? Or, you, or do you not? And you're doing that at the same time while speaking, uh, hearing me, sorry, you're speaking in your own head while hearing me and understanding. So it's a little bit of an excuse when you go home on a Sunday and you feel like you haven't done anything and you say, I'm tired, I need a Sunday nap. You've worked really, really hard. You've done so much all the time, your brain is ticking, ticking, ticking. And of course, that translates to sleep when we begin to dream. So the scientists tell us that self-talk is exceptionally powerful. Look at this, positive self-talk. It increases your lifespan. It dramatically improves your self-esteem. It lowers rates of depression. It gives greater resistance to the common cold. So you people who are going and getting flu jabs, maybe you just need to talk to yourself nicer. Reduces the risk of death from heart disease. And it gives better coping skills during hardships and times of stress which sounds absolutely amazing until you realise that the exact opposite is true with the negative. And a recent study said that actually, as humans, this is generally speaking, we all have a natural proclivity to the negative in our self-talk. And it can be as powerful as the power of 14 to 1. That means for every one good thought you have about yourself, you have 14 negative thoughts. Sometimes you wake up depressed and not realise why. Self-talk. 14 to 1, isn't that absolutely phenomenal? It is so, so powerful, our self-talk. It shapes how we think, it moulds our personality. As Jesus said, it's the thing that comes out of our hearts and our mind that make us, us, whether it's clean or unclean. And I've been fascinated with the science of this and I've been studying it. And it was while reading Matthew 9 and giving uh, this religious leader a face, I not only was able to give him a face, I was able to give him a name. Now, because we're in church, I'm going to give you a little bit of a confession. I have an addiction problem. My addiction problem is TikTok. I scroll endlessly on TikTok. I do still read my Bible a lot, but I scroll a lot on TikTok. And how TikTok works is when it finds something that you like, it makes an algorithm that sends you down an algorithm hole. Has anyone ever done that? Okay, that's good. I'm not the only sinner in church. Okay, so I sit for like hours on TikTok. My kids are like fighting. There's underwear on, on light fittings. There's food all over the walls. And I'm sat completely oblivious going down an algorithm hole. And recently, I've been going down the algorithm hole of old uh, X Factor videos. And they're just absolutely brutal. We watch X Factor now. It used to be far more brutal in the pop idol days and uh, the X Factor days when they were just in a little room. And it was as I was thinking about this religious leader, I gave him a name. I gave him the name Simon. And as I looked at this religious leader who was so uh, negative, and we only see such a little small part of this story, but instantly I branded him Simon. And when I think about my negative self-talk, I've also called my self-talk Simon. I call my negative self-talk, self-talk Simon, and I've given him a face. <laughs> now, if you don't know who Simon is, 
Self-talk, Simon, is a bandit in our lives. Let me give you a little bit of a, a recap of the real Simon. I've pulled out some quotes from my TikTok dive in the last few weeks. Here's some of the things that Simon have said to people who are absolutely bent on chasing after their dream. He says, in every single way, that was just everything I hated. Vanessa, if anyone ever asked me what my nightmares look and sound like, I'm going to refer to you. It was a bit like ordering a hamburger and only getting the bun. I like that one. I think that was brilliant. This is my favourite. It says here you're a wedding singer. How many have ended in divorce? That was exactly identical to a nightmare I had last week. You couldn't win this competition if you were the only one in it in a million years. There was absolutely nothing redeeming in that other than the fact that we stopped it early. You will never, ever, ever be a singer. Just get out. Just leave. And these are really, really funny watching from a distance, but you put yourself in the shoes of a hopeful person who is chasing after what they believe is their dream and their desire. This instantly becomes absolutely crushing. And it's the same with our self-talk. And indeed, it's the same with our God-given plans and destinies. When we get excited, when we've heard a fantastic message or we've just seen a revelation in the Bible and we believe Jesus is speaking to us, we get voices like this in our mind. We become experts in playing, Simon says. Simon says, no. Simon says, get out. Simon says, you're not good enough. And this is a reality. It becomes even more scary when we realise that our subconscious mind listens and accepts our self-talk as the truth, even if it's not. And that's the important bit. It accepts it as the truth, even if it's not. And then it creates the circumstances around it to match as I said, we're expert in playing, Simon says. And you'll know this as a truth in your own life when you've gone to a party or you've gone to meet up with a group of friends and something has happened that uh, translates into what we call in church prayer requests, which means gossip, okay? And we all go away, four or five of us, to different conversations and we recount this. And it's really interesting. It's a little bit like the Gospels. They're all slightly different. And there are some key aspects which are hugely different. Why? Because we have seen it through the lens of self-talk Simon or our self-talk. And when this comes to the plans and purposes of God in our lives, this is where it gets really sticky and dangerous. So as we begin this campaign, build the house, I want to begin with us with the foundations. If we're going to be the bricks of God's temple, we need to make sure we are living the Jesus way and living in the plans and purpose Jesus has for us singularly, but also us as a building. And oftentimes when I, I believe God is speaking to me, indeed about a sermon or a message I'm going to preach to my church or indeed a church, there's usually a, a phrase that comes into my mind that just writes the whole message. I can be sat for days sometimes trying to squeeze out a message and getting nothing and instantly something will just pop into my head which will then write the rest of the message. So this is the phrase that popped into my mind. It says this. When self-talk Simon tries to be the conductor on our train of thoughts, Jesus always has an answer. When self-talk Simon begins to be the conductor on our train of thoughts, Jesus always has an answer. I don't know how you're thinking about yourself and I don't know how you're thinking about your church, but I promise you as soon as you start to make inroads for the kingdom of God, self-talk Simon will begin to talk to you. I want to take you back about 11 or 12 years. 
At the time, Becky and I were dating. Jason wouldn't talk to me until we were engaged for various reasons, okay? But he was right not to do it. We, we weren't uh, engaged yet. We were dating and I uh, built up the courage and had a lot of coffee and asked to speak to Jason and asked for Becky's hand in marriage and he said yes. Hallelujah. I'm not sure Becky wanted to do it, but once Jason said it was yes, it was okay. We were going for it. And for the next six months or so, I began commuting every week from Birmingham to Northampton. I was currently working in a church, in my home church in Birmingham, um, but I'd been accepted as a ministry in training in, in Elim, and I was going to be stationed in Northampton. So uh, I was sort of rounding up in Birmingham, and Wednesday evening, I finished my uh, shift at church, and I would jump on the train right by Cadbury World in Bourneville, and jump to New Street Station to get on the train to London Euston, which stopped in the promised land of Northampton. I'd stay Wednesday to Saturday. I had my own little boudoir room in Gladstone Road, okay? So I'd come up and I'd see Becky. And it was Wednesday night, and uh, my pastor at the time was like a proper, it was like a proper micromanager, which I loved at the time, really thriving, but everything had to be perfect. Uh, he was an absolute perfectionist, which I thrived on. And this one time, I was going to be going out for dinner with uh, Becky and Jason and Linda and little Jason, uh, Becky's younger brother. And I was looking at the time and the thing that I was supposed to be doing and getting right just wasn't satisfying the pastor at the time. So I was staying late and I was anxiously looking at my watch because I knew Becky would absolutely kill me if I was, I was late. And I finally got out about quarter to six and I did the maths and I looked at the timetable and I could just make it if I timed it correctly. So I ran to Bourneville train station, hopped on the train and went into New Street. And it was about the time that New Street was changing to Grand Central. So it was really weird. Within a week, the train station looked different, completely different. But I knew always, if I timed it correctly, I could jump off at New Street, get to platform 4A, which is where my train always left from, and get to Northampton. So I ran out of Bourneville and started to climb the stairs. I was looking at my watch. It was all good. I had my headphones in. I was listening to something holy, uh, I'm sure. And as I approached platform 4A, there was an escalator down. I saw something that just caused me to panic, just a little bit. I saw people starting to run. Now, if you're an expert train passenger, you know that this means your train is about to leave. So I joined the end of the queue and I started to run. And I kicked togglers out the way. I kicked walking sticks. I pushed people out of the way. And I ran down those stairs, absolutely bent on getting to Northampton in time to make this meal. So I got down to the bottom of the escalator. The, the train doors were opening and you know the beep, beep, beep. The, the doors were beep, beep, beep. So I ran on, got in, threw my bag down, the doors shut and I made it on the train in time. I think I probably have missed my calling and should have been an Olympic runner as you can tell by my physique, but we'll leave that for another time. And I closed my eyes and the music, I think it was like Hillsong Relevation Worship or something was in my ears and, and the train started to move. I wiped away a bead of sweat and I began to breathe. And then when I opened my eyes, I looked around and the train looked a little bit different. I knew there was obviously works going on at the station, but the train looked different. And I started to feel this sinking feeling in my stomach because this wasn't a London Midland train. This was a Virgin train. And Virgin trains don't stop at Northampton. So I built up the courage, I'm quite an introvert really, to ask the lady on the opposite row. I said, this is the train to London Euston, isn't it? And she went, no love, this is the train to Manchester. Oh my goodness. And the next stop was like Stafford. Needless to say, I missed the dinner. But here's what I'm trying to say to you. Self-talk Simon will rush you onto a train of thought before you've even had time to consider it. I want to ask you this morning, when you look at the station in your mind and your trains of thought, are you boarding from the right platform? 
You see, it's really, really interesting, our self-talk. Scientists tell us that we feel our thoughts oftentimes before we're even conscious of them. It's a 30-second rule. And if you've ever lost your temper and blown up at a situation, uh, which I've done a few times, especially having young children, I sort of blow up, go mad, and then I realise, what on earth was that about? Have you ever had that? You just lost your temper at something. It's oftentimes because your self-talk has created a circumstance in your mind that hasn't actually happened. And you board a wrong train of thought. You're meant to be going south to Northampton, but instead you're going north to Manchester. And when we look at our thoughts, we need to be really intentional about the thoughts that we think. You see, self-talk Simon speaks very fast and will board you on a train of thought before you've had time to check if it's the right one. And as Christians, we all have a plan and a purpose from God, every single one of us. And your self-talk will probably tell you that it's not you, it's someone else. But I promise you, God has gifted you and he's given you something that is absolutely vital for the kingdom of God, particularly as a brick building the temple and building his house. But if you listen to yourself, oftentimes you'll never be able to get on top and get connected in because you think you're not good enough. And we do a great job of this ourselves. As I said, we have a natural proclivity to the negative. And we come a little bit like Peter on the waves. He's doing so well when he's listening to Jesus, but as soon as he takes his eyes off Jesus and his own thoughts begin to kick in, he begins to sink. But more than that, and Jason's already alluded to this, we absolutely do a good job of messing up ourselves and thinking we're not good enough ourselves. But we also have a very real spiritual enemy called Satan. And Satan isn't a name. It's not like Michael or Jason or Joanna or Debbie. It's a, it's a title. It means adversary or someone who comes against. And Satan, unlike Jesus, isn't om- omnipotent. He's not all-powerful. He's not omniscient. He's not all-knowing. And he's not omnipresent. He's not all-seeing. So chances are the Satan isn't in your bedroom at night. He's got bigger fish to fry. He's not in my bedroom at night. He's got bigger fish to fry. But that doesn't mean there isn't a whole horde of spiritual forces trying to pull you away from the things of God. And we need to remember that unlike Jesus, Satan isn't all-powerful, all-seeing, all-knowing, but he is an absolutely fantastic anthropologist. He knows human nature and what humans do very, very well. Remember 1 Peter 5.8, be on guard, stand, be alert, be confident of this, that Satan prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. I love the word translated as prowl. In the Greek, it's just walking, but most uh, English translations have translated it prowl. You see, Satan doesn't come out with a pitchfork and horns and go, boo. Okay, he's far more intelligent than that. He, he prowls, he stalks, he waits for an opportune moment to pounce. And when we look at our own self-talk, this is a fantastic avenue for the enemy to get in our minds. He doesn't inhabit us, but he does whisper in our ear. A lot like Eve in the garden. Did God really say that? Are you sure about that? Yeah, God wouldn't say that to you. And this is what he does. You see, when we don't do a good enough job of disqualifying ourselves from what Jesus calls us to, the enemy will jump on that bandwagon and put you on a train of thought quicker than you can blink. He'll be like that passengers of people where I completely miss the board with the platform changes. I'm following everyone else and what everyone else thinks is good, but actually it's a wrong train of thought. And as a side note, there's a little lesson of that as well. Just because everyone's going wrong one way doesn't mean it's the right way. Just because culture is saying this is correct or truth's over here absolutely doesn't mean that that's correct. 
I talked, it was actually the sermon Lee mentioned uh, when he came to Northampton about 2018, 2019, about anxiety. And I talked about a form of psychotherapy. There was a, a form of psychotherapy invented in the 1970s. And, and it, it was uh, like a fringe therapy for anxiety disorders, for stress disorders, and for depression. Back in the day, they just used to throw tablets at you. So, you know, have these tablets that'll sort out your mental health problems. But now, particularly last year, 2021 to 2022, 46.3% of therapy was psychotherapy, which means a talking therapy. And indeed, the most famous and well-known and well-used talking therapy is called cognitive behavioural therapy. I'll get a definition up for you here. It says this. Cognitive behavioural therapy, commonly known as CBT, which you may have heard of, is a primary type of psychotherapy in which negative patterns of thought about the self and the world around you are challenged in order to alter unwanted thoughts or behaviour patterns that treat mood disorders such as anxiety and depression. And as I said, this was a fringe therapy in the 1970s and has now found prominence as the top therapy given. And scientists are being applauded and therapists are being applauded for this. But the Apostle Paul was talking about this 2,000 years ago. He talks all about this. He prescribed the same thing to the believer. Look at this. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 5. You see, we demolish arguments and every pretension, that's the pretension of ourselves and the pretension of the enemy that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And listen to this. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We take captive every thought. You see, this is what CBT is. It's looking at those subconscious mind chatter that happens constantly and analysing it. Is this true? And as I've alluded to, we live in a world where truth is so fluid. You ask people today, truth doesn't exist. What a load of rubbish. Of course truth exists. And truth doesn't just exist. Truth is a person. Truth is called Jesus. You see, this world we live in will tell us that this white is black and red is blue. It's absolute nonsense. You see, when Paul talks about his version of CBT, he doesn't allow us to use or define truth as ourselves. You see, Paul doesn't leave it something to discern or to define as humans. He says that Christ is the plumb line to measure against. There's a little book in the Old Testament tucked away called Amos, one of the minor prophets. It's not minor because it wasn't important. It's minor because the book is short. And in chapter seven, verse seven and seven to eight, God is holding the people of Israel to a plumb line, the plumb line of his law. And he's saying, guys, you are found wanting. And oftentimes when we look at our thoughts and we look at how we're thinking and indeed how we are then living, we are so far removed from what Jesus calls us to. Paul tells us that when we measure truth, when we measure our thoughts, we must put it against Jesus' truth over our lives. And I've put here, remember Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Don't you know what Jesus sounds like? You've got his written word. And so often we see the Bible as a rule book, but it is a love letter, a love letter of truth to his body and his church and his house. So for the purposes of this morning, I don't know if there's copyright on CBT, but I'm going to rename CBT, Cognitive Behavioural Therapy. We're going to look at what Simon says, and then we're going to look at what Jesus says. And I'm going to rebrand Cognitive Behavioural Therapy and call it Cognitive Bible Therapy, CBT. So Simon says things like, I don't know where to go. Jesus says, well, I will direct your steps. 
I can't forgive myself, Simon will tell you, but I have already forgiven you, Jesus says. But I'm not smart enough. Well, I will give you wisdom, Jesus says. I'm not able. Well, you don't have to be because I am, Jesus said. But I'm scared, I'm afraid, but I haven't given you a spirit of fear, Jesus says. I'm alone and I'm wanted, but I will never leave you, Jesus says. But I'm an accident. My mom told me, my dad told me, my gran told me. No, you're not. You're a masterpiece, Jesus says. I can't manage. What does God say? I will supply all of your needs. Not three quarters, not two thirds, all of your needs. But I'm unlovable, Simon will tell you. I love you, Jesus says. You see, as we said, Simon speaks fast, 1,200 words per minute. He will confuse you. He will confound you. He will get you to believe all sorts of things and on a train of thought going north when you're meant to be going south. But Jesus speaks thoughtfully and truthfully. I want to ask you, do you know his voice? Do you know his voice? Big difference between hearing and listening. Right now in Luton, our church is meeting together and after the service, they'll all go from the church hall into the cafe hall and there'll be like two, three hundred people crammed in together drinking coffee. And every week, Becky and I have to sort of tag team in between our three kids who are lovely but just all over the place. And what's really interesting, I've found I can be speaking to someone at one side of the room and there's chatter everywhere far more than 1,200 words a minute, just chatter, bubbling laughter. But if one of my children says, Dad, I hear it instantly. I hear everything, but I listen for a few. And there could be five, six, seven, ten other children saying, Dad, but if one of my three say, Dad, I don't just hear it, I listen to it. All right, I'm going to get a move on, so I've got 12 minutes left. Recently, I was at Luton Parkway Station. Uh, one of the discoveries we found moving into Luton is that we can be in King's Cross in 22 minutes. It's fantastic. So we can do day trips to, to London. So I'm off for now on a Saturday, taking Judah, my eldest. Uh, the other two aren't really interested. Judah comes with me. We go to London, walk around some museums. And what I find fascinating is when I'm standing on the platform for 10 minutes or so, the amount of people who get rebuked and told off by the intercom people because if you go to a train platform, Becky, will you just throw me that there? There's this line. It's only a little line. It's not very thick, but it runs the whole length of the station. It's called the yellow line, okay? And what I found fascinating about this, whether you're a businessman who looks like you're a multimillionaire, or whether you're five, six years old, as soon as you cross that line, you are going to be told off. And everyone on the platform will look at you and condemn you as a novice at the train station. And this, this line is 1.5 metres away from the edge, so it seems a little bit silly and almost seems a little bit patronising. Why can't we cross the line? Well, the, answer, the question's soon answered when a train comes through at 90 miles per hour and you're feeling the wind force from like two, three metres back. If you are over that line and anywhere near that train going through at that speed, you are going to get taken out. So the thing that sounded like a rebuke is actually very lovable in keeping you safe and indeed, I'm sure, away from a lawsuit. So the second thing, when we think about our thoughts and our train of thoughts, we need to stay behind the line. We need healthy, healthy boundaries. You see, when we look at our Christian lives and indeed what Jesus called us to do, and maybe we've already discovered that and we're thriving in that and we're walking in that, we are absolutely flying and we're doing all the things that God wants us to do. But oftentimes there'll just be one thing, just one thing in our life that our self-taught will remind us about that will hold us up. Just one thing. 
And that's for all of us. Absolutely all of us. There's one thing that will hold us up. It could be unforgiveness. It could be bitterness. It could be addiction. It could be jealousy. It could just be your self-belief, but there is one thing. And if you don't think you have a one thing, it's probably called pride. But we all have this one thing. And I want to ask us, as we look at the call of God on our lives, where do we need to paint the line? What is the one thing we need to stay away from? We see this again in the Bible. There's a rich young ruler, he comes to Jesus and, and he's full of himself and he's so happy. God, I've done everything. Jesus, I believe you are God. I've done everything that the Bible commands. What left is there to do? I've got it all. And Jesus says, well, go and sell everything your own. And that's not a command for all of us. That was his one thing. What's your one thing? And let me give you a bit of confidence. It's not just us 2,000 years after the amazingness of the New Testament that struggle. Paul himself struggled. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians 12, 6, 9 to 10. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger we've heard already about Satan to torment me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. This is Jesus talking. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And we are so often getting caught up and bounded and put in a little prison cell in our own self-talk because of that one thing. We're given opportunity, maybe it's at your office to evangelise or to speak Jesus into a situation. Or maybe Jason or Linda or Lee or Jackie approaches you and, and it just aligns up with something that God has been speaking to you about and that is when Simon will make the most of his 1,200 words in a minute and tell you why you can't. What if they saw what you were watching last night on TV? What if they saw you click on that internet link? What if they saw you say that word to that person? What if they knew the innermost depths of your heart? Well, they don't, but Jesus does. And he makes his power perfect in weakness. There's a tweet that came out, uh, it was last year that I just saved, I thought it was really profound, from a pastor called Matt Smethurst. He said this, we should all ask, what must I do to be saved? Then we should ask, what must I do because I'm saved? but we should never ask, what can I do and still be saved? Dangerous question. If you don't know what your one thing is, that is a question that you are asking about that one thing that you're protecting. There's some things in our life we need to paint a line at and not cross. And just like the intercom at the train station, we're told in John 16 verse 13 that the Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth. When we're starting to get too close to an edge of something that will see us fall off and injure ourselves and indeed our calling and destiny in God, the Holy Spirit will come over that intercom into your mind and say, what are you doing? Get behind the line. There's an old adage that says, a fence at the top of the cliff isn't to stop your view, it's to stop you from falling. You can look at a vista and still have a fence. It is very important to paint the line. And maybe the line isn't a sin thing or something you're currently struggling with, but it's something from the past. Maybe you need to draw a line under something, not keep you away from something. Maybe there's an unforgiveness issue, a bitterness issue where you need to draw a line under. Last point, looked at the line, we looked at getting on the right platform. The last thing you will hear before you get on a train, going in the direction that you were called to, you were purposed to, this is what will come over the intercom and you will see painted on the floor. It is mind the gap. Mind the gap. 
You see, I've often found in my own journey of faith with God, when he's doing something new, and indeed he's trying to bore me on a new journey or a new path or a new plan to build his house and his kingdom, the biggest hazard is usually at the threshold of the new journey, right before you step into something that God is using you for. You've got past the line, the train is waiting, but there's just one more hazard. That verse we looked at from Paul talking about being made perfect in weakness. Really, really interested in my Bible. There's a little subheading over these verses. It looks like this. I took a picture of it. It's Paul's vision and his thorn. And I find this really profound because his vision is coupled with his thorn. He has this amazing out-of-body experience where he's taken to the third heaven. He sees, in his own words, inexpressible things. And then he instantly starts to begin to talk about his weakness. When you are going into something new for God, when you are journeying on a new pathway, on a new platform, uh, uh, in a new calling, it is at that precise moment where you're about to step on it that your trip hazard will make itself known. It might look like Simon speaking, speaking, talking, talking. It might be a temptation. It might be a little thorn in the flesh. But the biggest hazards is usually right on the threshold of a new journey. And I wanna tell you, it only takes one, more, one small trip, one little foot, one toe out of the wrong line that will see you delay your journey and injure yourself. And I'm testament of that in my life. There was one trip I made, some of you know my story, that put me back two, three, four years because of one small trip right on the threshold of something new. So as we're going into this new season as a church, and this is a small C church here in Northampton with amazing visions on the horizon, I want to ask you to look as we begin to build the house. What is South Talk Simon saying to you? What is he saying to you? Is he putting you on a wrong platform? Is he telling you that you can cross the line? Is he telling you not to mind the gap and to just get distracted in what's happening around you? But as we look to build the house, don't let your self-talk be the limiting factor of the unlimited potential that God has put in you. Ephesians, we're told that we have been given every spiritual blessing. It's there for the taking. It's just up, for us, up to us whether we step forward and grasp that. I believe the train is at the station, but are we paying attention to what God is saying? Are we playing Simon Says, or are we listening to what Jesus is saying over our lives? I wonder if you can stand with me. I just wanna pray for you as a church. I can do, this is, obviously it's not my church. I'm just a guest in the house coming back home to, to talk to you. But Lord Jesus, I know some of the plans and purposes that are bubbling right under the threshold here of Northampton. And your kingdom here in town, not just with Ealing, but with other denominations of the churches, Lord, I pray over Northampton right now that Simon does not have a voice. No negativity, no proclivity towards the negative is being spoken over this church or over this town, God. That we can listen to your voice, although we may hear many other voices, that you're promoted above every other voice, every other circumstance, every other person. And God, for us personally, is singular bricks, building the house, building the temple, building the kingdom, God. If there is anything in our own life that we are just seeing is out of line to your plans and purposes to get us in the seat where we're meant to be going, God, we pray right now that you just shine a light on that. You know our innermost thoughts and you have an answer to them. So God, we commission Elim Church Northampton to walk into all the promises and all the purposes you have for this amazing church and this brilliant family. And we pray this in your name and we seal it with a big amen.
Amen. Thank you, church.